In this episode of the GX podcast, we will be discussing flow thinking, the theory of constraints, and the role these principles play in the modern technology landscape. I'm joined by special guest Mark Landy, former CTO of Medco, which is now Evernorth, a Cigna company, and former VP of Enterprise Architecture for Johnson & Johnson. Mark has over 27 years of experience in technology strategy and innovation, and we're delighted he could join us today. I'm also joined by Galaxy's own president and COO, Sandeep Ngangyopadye. Welcome to the show, guys. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. Mark, those were some pretty um, big thoughts there, the flow thinking and theory of constraints. Um, sure. So regarding how company, companies leverage technology, I'd like to understand the importance of flow thinking. Um, and really for our listeners, if you could define what flow thinking means. Certainly, Tracy. Flow thinking applied to technology in a company is something that I've used increasingly over, I'd say maybe the last eight years or so, to explain to business and IT leaders why there seems to be such a disconnect mm -hmm. between what the IT department has to do and how busy and overutilized it is versus the priorities of the business. And you, know, you have to bake into that the, the seeming convenience of consumer facing IT where business people might expect an internal IT organization to work as fast as let's say a Facebook. So flow thinking brings us back to the fundamental primitives of why technology is used in companies in the first place. Mm. It's used to force multiply your efforts. But the flow of money, the flow of value that goes through an IT department is supposed to draw in money to run it and change it and then emit a much higher amount of value for the company. But generally, large companies have things like generally accepted counting principles or GAAP, cost allocation and shared service models, which mm -hmm. kind of conspire to limit the thinking to just running at the lowest cost possible. So flow thinking, which I'll explain more about, is an attempt to get people to open their eyes and see the bigger picture. To look beyond the just the cost accounting approach to how you're how you're leveraging technology. Absolutely. And there's okay. reasons why people can't do that, but you know, we'll, we'll touch on some of those. Okay. Um, why don't we go into a little deeper and what you you know what that really means and and the definition of that? Sure. Anything that can be described as a flow is best analogized as um, water flowing through a pipe or out of a bottle. We all know that if a pipe is clogged, it impedes the flow. Economic value is much in the same way. Anything that impedes it is, is actually called, under theory of constraints, a bottleneck. And bottlenecks mm. can be observed, they can be mitigated, they can be broken apart uh, so that flow can improve. If you think of the day-to-day -day operation of a, a CIO or their IT, IT leadership team, they're not necessarily always thinking of IT value. They may understand it, they may deal with it, but they're really thinking about what projects are committed to, what costs have to be reduced, and what problem of the day is happening right now. Mm -hmm. So they're to some extent working in an invisible environment. The thing they should be focused on is much like a factory where you're looking at across the catwalk and you're looking at the means of production, producing the things you're going to sell. If there was an obvious slowdown or break in a machine, or if there's a problem with production, you'd know where it is. You'd fix it, you'd see it, you'd, you'd fix, fix it. it. And that's one of the problems with conventional IT governance models is they, they make you think that you have visibility to all the things that are important. 
you have monthly and quarterly reports, you have uh, key objectives that you're going after. But again, those key objectives tend to be things like keeping costs down. Mm. There's a little known law called Conway's law, which basically says if you're a system and large companies, institutions, organizations, or systems, if you're a system that creates other systems, other departments, or even applications, which is the best example, you are destined to create them in your own genetic structure. And what that basically means is you will shape the behavior invisibly mm. of how an IT department functions if it is starting the day as a cost center that is a shared service then the most important thing everyone can do is work for free. And that's a problem. <laughs> it's very limiting when you put it that way. <laughs> it is, yes. So a good example of this, of where flow thinking helps. Mm -hmm. If the IT, IT department's job is to get technology built and into production as fast as possible, because it's a force multiplier. Once that technology is live, it's making more value for the company mm -hmm. and for the market. If it's in a box in the corner and it's not assembled, it's not doing anything but costing you money. So how do you envision that? And how do we see some of the fundamental problems that play at keeping this box in the corner in that box? One way of looking at the impact of cost accounting is to look at what it does to, for example, utilization of resources. If you run a computer system, you know that one of the best things you can do is optimize workload. So you're at or near something just below 90%. Some would say 85%. You don't want to get into that knee of the curve where it begins to weaken your response time. Now that's okay. And you can do that in a computer system. Okay. The problem is most IT organizations conduct work by handing tasks and information from one person laterally to the next person. They don't go mm -hmm. up and down the tree, they go left and right. That left and right transfer by and large is through meetings and emails. Now, there, if you're lucky, there's a project plan and the project plan may spell it out and it makes it visible. So no surprise why pro projects that are delivered mm -hmm. with good project planning tend to work out better. It's mm -hmm. primarily the visibility. So a defect, an outright defect of cost accounting is driving towards 90% utilization. And I'll just use the factory example again, and then we can apply it to people. 90% utilization of any machine will on average cause a percent busy over percent idle delay getting into the machine. Fancy words for saying 0.9 divided by 0.1 is nine. That means if a machine takes an hour to do something, it takes on average nine hours to wait to get into it. That's mm. idle time, that's air time that you're not touching anything. Just mm -hmm. so happens in a very large global healthcare manufacturing company I had some exposure to, we had audit records, roughly 2 billion plus audit records of start, oh. stop, and duration of tasks. Our average idle time was 92.3%. Wow. You want to know what our utilization goal was? I, I have, I don't even want to know. <laughs> 90%. So the math works. Now, if that's the case, if we just said that the IT department's job is to bring technology into production use and maintain it as fast and effectively as possible, well, if I have to wait 90% of the time idle, mm -hmm. that's not a good factory. Mm -hmm. And then we're not getting the economic value we want. We are, however, getting 100% utilization of all our staff. Now, let me just end with a quick analogy. 
Um, there used to be a time where that was okay for the information technology department to be utilized that heavy. It was considered more of a construction company and things that we put in were very standard. They may be new, but they were very repeatable. Now, mm -hmm. information technology is characterized and its value is characterized by being more emergent or more of a network effect, like applications okay. on your smartphone. To do that, you have to pay for and fund availability, just like a factory. You might have a very busy machine, but you want the ones in front and after to be highly available in case that very expensive machine needs to manage some something. Yep. Right. Okay. So a nice way of thinking about it is we're more like a police or fire department, and you don't want a fire department to be 100% utilized. Well, not if you want people actually showing up on site. I mean, on time. <laughs> well, I mean, it means they'd be burning, they'd be busy taking down fires all the time. Right, right. So well, you do pay for availability. Absolutely. So that's a good way I explain it to people. And um, when we get into more of this conversation, we'll talk about ways that we can possibly crack the code and maybe work the, make this work differently. Well, I, you know, and that leads me to believe that there's a lot of unrealized value that that's kind Enormous. of- Enormous out there. So, you know, Sandy, then I'm going to invite you to answer, uh, contribute to the conversation. Let's talk about some of those unrealized value that you've seen just in your um, experience. Thank you. Um, in our uh, work, uh, because Galaxy is involved with strategic transformations, uh, this is the order of the day. This is, uh, mm -hmm. this is what we come across every day. And let me give you some examples. Um, we have clients who have built significant uh, supply chain systems, say in an ERP platform. And uh, the projects have been very successful and they have met the needs of uh, the requirements that were laid out for them. And so they addressed uh, to Mark's point um, you know, as he was talking about local minima versus global minima, they address the needs of that specific department. Okay. But if you go back and look at how they serve the company, you would find an analysis was done uh, and in some of the ERP systems, this is doable. You can go and see how many of the modules and the actual uh, segments of functionality that have been built uh, are actually or have ever been used in production. And okay. it is not unusual to find 40, 50% of all of that asset that was built has never been utilized in production. So, so you spent money to build it and up to, you said 40 to, wow, that's incredible. 40 to 50% not even being utilized. Yeah, and it is, it is and think about it this way, that waste uh, was not just in terms of money uh, and not only in terms of capital money because you got to maintain these things now, right? Mm. You can't just ignore them. Uh, it required uh, time of some of the best people in the company who had to probably forego other productive pursuits in order to deliver that mm. work. It uh, took away money and opportunities from other, uh, um, you know, promising uh, endeavors for the organization. So there are many level, uh, different degrees of impact of such uh, completely uh, being focused on local minima, putting blinders on, mm. and you know, you get a sense that you have accomplished a lot, but at the end of the day, it may have been counterproductive to some extent. 
And, uh, you know, it, it goes to show that sometimes, um, and this happens more in larger organizations, is the incredible focus on how information systems and information technology, and in fact, by extension, technology organizations being seen as cost centers in a company. Uh, right? okay. Uh, okay. They're seen as a necessary evil, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and the best, uh, uh, you know, there are CEOs who have gone on record saying that the best IT organization is one that you never hear about. It's you invisible. Know they're there. <laughs> right. right? And, and because there is no disruption, my business goes along as it should. And uh, so long as the plumbing is running, I don't want to know where my pipes are going in my, inside my house. I turn the tap, water comes, and I'm happy with that. You get flow. You're good. <laughs> you get flow. You're good. But the issue with that is that it's a, it's a negative way. And to Mark's point that if, uh, you know, and to Conway's law, that if you have an organization that is focused on that kind of bottom line uh, cost reduction, cost control, cost administration focus, uh, you are um, uh, inheriting number one, and then you are evolving a, an organization in technology that is focused on the lowest <laughs> minimum cost and value by extension versus saying that, hey, I'm going to use technology to drive the value I provide to my customers and to the world at large. And that's a different way of thinking of mm -hmm. uh, technology where technology is essentially your product development team, uh, not necessarily your, um, just your cost center. And the combination of the two to see it as something that brings revenue and also something that uh, obviously incurs costs and especially from an infrastructure and plumbing standpoint now the balance of the two is incredibly important to see the global minima, to drive waste and constraints out of your system so that uh, the, the nightmare that Mark is talking about that you have your highest value assets in the company. These people are paid the highest salaries. Uh, they mm -hmm. have the highest level of experience in, you know, in the industry and you slam them with work and then even if they do it, they themselves are a constraint, but even if they're pushing something through, it's waiting at the end because something else isn't ready or something else something isn't, else isn't ready. optimized. So overall as an organization, you are suboptimal and it hurts. Mark, what I'm struggling to understand is, so if technology, if IT is treated not as a key system, but just a set of assets um, that is cost allocated, how does this affect how things are funded and how projects are prioritized? Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the problem. It reinforces itself. So what Sandeepan described and, and I'm going to talk about brought a couple of um, sayings to mind that I used to use to explain it to people. If you're if you're in a, a cost optimization only model mm -hmm. where, where you can sort of fall in because of the lack of visibility, we, we tend to call that, you know, if you're excelling at it, you're excelling at cost optimization, we tend to call that doing the wrong things righter. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> because it is, you know, I'd say it's the wrong thing. Uh, but then again, don't do they not know that? The other thing that, that Sandeepan touched on, which I want to echo, is that 
it's not just the spend or the misallocation of spend or maybe spend for the wrong effort. It's management's time and attention. Mm. So one of the things I point to uh, quite often is the use of theory of constraints by Dr. Eliu Goldratt. Uh, his first book called The Goal, which is in one of the downloads we'll have prepared, highly recommend you read it if you haven't. Uh, the goal was a very short read, but very insightful from a man whose background is in physics and then in logistics and manufacturing, and eventually went on to information technology. One of the sayings he came up with, uh, which I love to repeat, is that management's time and attention is the most precious and perishable resource that any team has. So it's not the money, it's the masters and experts that are involved, and what are they spending their time on? Now, if you think flow thinking, back to flow thinking again, what does that look like? What does that feel like? It's not sitting down with a business partner and saying, how much of your new project can I claim is because of IT? Don't take that bait. <laughs> that won't get you anywhere. You have to think like you're part of the company's leadership team. Even if you're a network administrator, you have to act like that. You have to think, how does this company make money? And a technique that I can use to, to offer a a potentially different way of managing the day to day, which will instantly give you that visibility is when you build a project portfolio list, instead of just building the list and rationing it off at a red line and then prioritizing them based on, you know, what's burning, what's cyber, what, what people are yelling the most for, which is the classic way of doing it. Uh, instead of doing that, use a technique, which will list in some of the download material, called cost of delay or COD. Cost of delay can be used in addition to standard portfolio prioritization practices. And I would argue most portfolios are not really portfolios. You ever try and get rid of a project? Mm. You can't. It's more like a shipping manifest. Mm -hmm. Cost of delay asks this question. When every project is delivered, how much money will be generated annually? And out of each project that's delivered with their annual generation, you simply divide that by 365 and get a daily figure. And then you rank every project by how much daily money would be delayed for every day you delay the launch of that project or its finish or, or commitment. Mm -hmm. Now, we had used that in my, one of my past jobs to great effect where we had a conflict in who would get access to key networking personnel. Networking personnel were working on an end user compute rollout to get ahead of a Microsoft end user license problem. There was some time ahead of it. There was a few months of slack, but it was urgent and important. There was also at the same time, a software defined data center rollout where we were migrating workloads by the thousands every week mm. into software defined data center pods and also Amazon cloud. Every time we took a server off prem, we freed up tons of money real money and also increase the velocity of our business because you could provision systems much faster. We did a cost of delay analysis and found out for every day that the end user compute modernization program was delayed, it would cost us $85,000 as a company. Hmm. For every day our software defined data center program was delayed, it was $524,000. Hmm. So you can see immediately which project should be given the priority mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and did. Now, it doesn't mean that one is less important or more, but when you're talking flow and value, if you think orders of magnitude improvement in economic outcome going from half a million down to 80,000, 
it's a it's a no-brainer you find a different way to get that other project done Mm-hmm. But you would have never seen that in a project and portfolio inventory because one was considered infrastructure, one was considered transformation, and never the two met. Yeah, they were not. They wouldn't have been considered at the same time. I totally understand. So that's just one thing. There's another technique under theory of constraints called the five focusing steps. Now I'll list them off. I'm going to refer to a little bit of a cheat sheet here, just because I want to be accurate. Okay. And this will be in our our download as well. Okay. So when you think there's a bottleneck, the first thing that has to be done is to identify it. Now, in IT systems where visibility is poor, it's difficult. So I'll talk a little bit later on about the use of information radiators, which are basically a fancy way of saying display screens <laughs> okay. that show progress across activities. Now, in our uh, current environment of remote, we have to use more on-screen graphical dashboards. But think instead of reports that tell you what just happened, you want traffic signals that tell you what's about to happen in front of mm. you. Okay. Right? So don't wait for the quarterly report uh, and have that review. Look for information that you get right away. When you identify a bottleneck, and there's always just one that is the biggest. And mm. when you change a bottleneck, you necessarily will change the system in such a way you can't really predict where the next one will be. First, identify the bottleneck then exploit the system's constraints to avoid or optimize or work around the bottleneck. Note, I didn't say remove the bottleneck. It may be that the bottleneck is not removable. Okay. But if you can invest time and energy and management time and attention and win that case to either exploit it, to buffer around it, to potentially change if it's a machine or a person or a process, do that. But here's the trick. Do only that. And that's the next step. Number three, okay. subordinate all else to the bottleneck. That's Dr. Goldratt's way of saying, don't do anything else, just fix the bottleneck. Just fix the bottleneck, focus on the bottleneck. Because it's not kind of like that factory model where you have people running around fixing machines, but they can't see each other and they run into each other and they don't know what they're doing. It is not a good thing for a factory. So same thing applies here. That's step three, subordinate all else and alleviate the bottleneck. Elevate the constraint is number four, which means improving or fixing the bottleneck once you've actually come to a solution. And number five is once that bottleneck has been either buffered, alleviated, or fixed, repeat the process. Go back to number one. Identify the bottleneck. The next bottleneck. Exploit system constraints. Subordinate all other work to it. Fix the bottleneck. Mm -hmm. Go back to number one. And it is that simple. And you have to do it in short, quick batches with data that is highly visible to everybody on the team. Funny story about the theory of constraints. I had to read this for uh, a class I was taking, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. And I uh, had the book, didn't read it, didn't read it, got to the day before, like, I, if I'm honest, it was probably two hours before the class. <laughs> Um, I'm a fast reader, but it's a short book and I read it. I jammed, you know, I was like, okay, let me just, you know, highlight, 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 got done, went, that was really good. Yeah. You learned all about Herbie. I did, did the class. And then I went back and reread it. Like actually took the time to, to reread it. It is a short book and it is a very, it is a, in what you laid out here, these five steps, pretty much clear. It's pretty clear, um, in the book, how he, the way he lays it out in the story is, is such a good, um, um, process to apply to a lot of different things. I mean, you're applying it to IT, but you, you can apply this to a lot of different, the theory of constraints to a lot of things in life. 
You know, Tracy, that's one of the interesting things. The theory of constraints had been around me for ages. I had read the book. I always assumed it was part of operations research or logistics and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Being in IT itself, I was so um, so uh, ingrained in, in just the current way of work in the information mm-hmm. technology department that to me, projects and portfolios and economic value were not flow. They were just projects. Uh, but it's not the case. You know, the information technology is a force multiplier, just like manufacturing is. It, it mm-hmm. is a factory in a sense, but it's a highly flexible, invisible factory that you have to probe, sense, and respond to figure out what's going on. There's more material that we'll have in our downloads. Uh, there's things like Wardley maps, which will help illuminate some of this and also talk mm-hmm. about situational awareness. Um, but there's plenty that I can go through. Maybe if there's something else that Sandeepan has in mind. So, I mean, one of the, you know, periodically we come across situations and this is especially true for the typical company that we support, Fortune 100, Fortune 50, and to, you know, to a large extent, the kind of companies Mark has been working with. <laughs> that the size, the level of constraints, sometimes mm-hmm. because of the size, uh, because of regulations that affect organizations of that size, and the fact that we have typically worked in the regulated sector anyway, means that there are significant constraints to a large number of things that an organization needs to do to make progress. For example, uh, they would, um, an organization because of their cost, you know, cost-centered and cost-focused outlook at um, their situation, um, very often finds it very difficult to modernize, to innovate. Mm. And uh, one of the issues that large companies sees, if you see, um, you know, the true disruptors uh, have become large, uh, but they were not large when they disrupted, you know. <laughs> right. so Tesla almost died disrupting. Amazon made losses for years and years and years, right? And you can't imagine that a disciplined large organization would allow any of those practices, you know? Uh, But these are at the end of the day, organizations that have built incredible value. Probably they have a leapfrog, you know, United States, uh, you know, uh, place in worldwide technology, um, at least a generation, um, you know, ahead In, in what I mean is that for at least another generation, the United States will lead worldwide technology because of what these companies have achieved, you know, mm. uh, in terms of taking the, you know, um, uh, the best of breed and the state of art forward. Um, and very often we are not surprised when we see that the latest drugs being invented or, um, you know, the latest products being made are made by much smaller organizations that then get acquired by the big behemoths. Mm -hmm. You've got to sit and ask, how come they, with all the resources at their disposal, um, you know, because of their large scale and size, it should be so easy for them to innovate, uh, practically at zero cost, 
because all overheads are taken care of. Whereas for a starting company, the overheads kill them. How do they pay their own salaries? Right. right. But even then, how come these small companies are innovating and the big ones can only innovate and progress through acquisitions? And I'm just presenting that as a proof point because of what we see. We mm. see that it is cost prohibitive for large organizations to modernize. They have, uh, you know, we have other podcasts on this, Tracy, we were talking mm -hmm. with Stuart the other day about how uh, large organizations still have, I mean, what, 70 to 80% of Fortune 500 companies have legacy code. Legacy systems, uh, yeah. They have, uh, you know, mainframe technology stuck in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the issue is that uh, the initial capital expenditure and OPEX in addressing that tech debt or, you know, modernization, whatever you call it, um, uh, stops them from going ahead with any of these, fear of disruption, not having an end-to-end -end sense of the constraints in their organization. Um, mm. You know, to Mark's point, uh, you know, you have one weak link of the chain, right? It, there's going to be one link that's going to break. It's never two links that break, right? It's always the one link, the weakest link that's going to break. And you don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. And also, if you address it, or if you work around it to Mark's point, you don't know at that point of time, which is the next link that's going to break. Right? Well, yeah, and, and or so, how you've changed it. Right. right. And, and so the lack of visibility, the initial expenditure uh, in addressing this, and then the delay in recouping the investment through savings and better speed to market and better products and capabilities, there is a lag, right? And that lag is what keeps these large organizations from really doing a disruptive transformational things. And I think some of the technologies that we have been talking about, whether this is the, the, uh, you know, the end-to-end factory-driven process, uh, the visibility into the end-to-end -end structure, uh, these are critical in giving the levers because once you, once, managers have that data in front of them when executives see uh, as mark said half a million dollars eighty five thousand dollars it wasn't a very long conversation at that point mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. it's, it's it's obvious it's mm -hmm. how do you get to that point so this factory driven approach to uh, think about uh, taking away the mystery and the enigma mm -hmm. of technology is critical in uh, number one, having uh, larger organizations become more free and not being scared of disruption or disrupting their own processes or financial practices, so on and so forth. And number two, in them achieving uh, essentially the global minima that Mark was talking about. Yeah, that, you said it very well, Sandeep, and there's so many things I could touch on there. A few things resonated though. Um, the visibility is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, that notion of, that that large organizations are somehow landlocked, and and I I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there is one organization in the world, probably the largest in the world, that's not landlocked, and you might think it would be, because we always hear about it, um, but that's the U.S. Department of Defense. Now I'm not mm -hmm. talking about the back office um, that may be suffering the same the symptoms as our large enterprises. Uh, I'm talking about 
the folks in the front lines, the folks who execute what's called maneuver warfare, which is also known as mission command. And mission command was uh, something that was developed um, after the Prussians took Napoleon to task. And, you know, the generals started to realize that you can't just win a war by running your horse faster and mm. making the bugle sound louder. Um, they realized that independent teams, squads, needed to have their own mission and their own ability to make command decisions in the field. Hmm. A great example of that is when you tell a team to go and take a hill, uh, in a classic IT department, that means when they get to the top of the hill, they put their weapons down and sit. No, if you get to the top of the hill and you can, you keep fighting because winning, the <laughs> winning the war is the objective. And everyone is smart enough and intelligent enough to make that decision. So that's that's one of the things I bring to the table when I talk about how we might rethink the command chains. And it sounds do. upside down because you think, oh, if you go to the military, it's even more rigid. Well, highways are very rigid, you know, roadways are rigid, but it's a lot faster and more effective to go from place to place than everyone building their own car and traversing a sand desert, <laughs> which is to some extent what we might be doing in IT. And I say that somewhat jokingly, but not really. If you look at technical debt of any large enterprise mm -hmm. and you wonder how many times did we build that pattern or access that data or present this application in a certain way, and boy, there's an awful lot of duplicate systems that we built year over year. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe within the same portfolio, we look left and right and we have the same patterns being built. What if I told you that you had the ability to look ahead three years and you could pre-plan your spend for three years of spend, and you knew that there was going to be a substantial amount of investment across the board in, let's say, customer information systems and customer data, or maybe patient data. Mm -hmm. Could you identify and build and define a data capability that could be widely used by almost any application that your company could field? Of course. Sure. Could you corner off people to do that and then keep that product evergreen? Of course you can. So why is it we will now continue to build that separately and distinctly in small little replicas when we know we could have built it as one major highway? Right. The very thing that I talked about at the top, Conway's law, cost accounting, and at its root is generally accepted accounting principles, which is in a sense how we portray to the market and to the street our accounting standards. I actually talked to one of our leaders at a very large company that had this problem and asked, what could we do to change our use of gap? And you should have seen the expression on their eyes, <laughs> nearly impossible. Uh, this to them wasn't a problem. We were doing okay. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how, how bad this is because if we're three or 4% of revenue and we are responsible for 80 to 90% of the revenue, simply mm -hmm. operating, what if we could be half the revenue and, and double, I mean, half the spend and then double the outcome, which mm -hmm. I think we can. So it starts by thinking visibility and thinking in terms of agile experiments and teams to give people breathing room. That's probably one of the most important things. Uh, you've heard the saying, you know, if you keep repeating the same thing again and again and expecting a different outcome, mm -hmm. definition of insanity. That's one of the things I want to leave people with is we use hypotheses over experiment, sorry, hypotheses and experiment over doctrine and best practice. Why not? Because best practice got us into a hole that we're in right now. 
So maybe we need to do something as an experiment, but what's key about that is you do it in a minimal surface. You do it with a small team. You look at their data. You approve the use of this experiment ahead of time. It's not the same as saying everyone, you go figure it out. That's chaos. Mm -hmm. But doing small experiments and using data and then solving a core problem that also might be a solution to a future opportunity. What I mean by that, and Goldratt in his book talks about crocodiles chasing you while you're chasing a pot of gold, right? So you're always on that treadmill, right? Continually improving, whether there's something coming and get you or something that you wanna get. When you do that, you when you're onto something that produces value, and trust me, when, when business partners see the value in IT, they want more of it. They will begin mm -hmm. to pull from the IT department and demand more of what you just did, as opposed to pushing and assigning projects and deadlines upon you. It's a nice, refreshing way to work. I highly recommend it if you can mm -hmm. get there. But focusing and optimizing for flow and training people. So there is a bit of training that has to happen. Um, people really need to read Theory of Constraints, read some of his later books. Uh, there's some downloadable links that we put together for you all that you can look at. And I highly recommend you get a basic education but also encourage you to find experts in these practices and help apply it to your mm -hmm. own version of IT. Um, why not? Sandy, you anything to add before we close? Well, I think, um, you know, the, some of the core um, concepts uh, that we have discussed today and Mark has incredible experience in um, delivering in extremely large scale. And he mentioned a couple of these large scale initiatives, billion dollar initiatives that resulted in uh, an order of magnitude higher in savings and for the organizations and better products for the organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, these are key learnings by which um, if you combine them, for example, uh, Tracy with Galaxy's uh, factories and automation and the mm -hmm. fact that we reverse engineer and we have end-to-end -end visibility and are able to tie processes end-to-end. -end. I think these are uh, key thought processes that um, executives need to know that they have at their disposal. They okay. don't have to resort to a brute force attack. They don't have to resort to, uh, you know, if I try to do bigger, better, then I'm, you know, I may disrupt something and essentially fail. Okay. Um, they don't have to live in fear. Um, none of this mm. is uh, a negative. This is all about not only being uh, accurate and precise and uh, you know uh, productive, but it's about uh, helping your organization get to the next level. Right. Helping your organization uh, deliver something that nobody else in the industry is doing, and that is the uh, I think the value uh, of this discussion in uh, that it will hopefully uh, provide listeners with some avenues uh, that will allow them to achieve way more than they are today. Um, thanks both of you for your time today. Listeners, there was a lot of information here that um, we laid in front of you. Um, I encourage you, to, if you're listening, to go to our website and find the the downloadable links um, and the um, uh, additional reading to, um, uh, I'm 
discuss this topic. I'm sure we're going to have a lot more podcasts moving forward um, that'll dig into each of these in, in detail. Again, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Sandy Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Look forward to more.